Dotnet Rocks, episode 1097, with guest Rob Eisenberg. Recorded Thursday, January 29th, 2015. Hey, guess what? It's .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. And I'm Richard Campbell. And we're here giving you the show that you wanted. Rob Eisenberg, he's here. We got the scoop. We got the skinny. We got something. We got something. Anyway, uh, Richard, I have no small talk today. That's all right. Your talk does never has to be small. It doesn't. Let's talk big. Let's talk better know a framework. Awesome. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? I saw this every once in a while. I see something or I hear something that just nails it. And uh, Ira Glass from This American Life. Love Ira Glass. Yeah, well, somebody translated a one-minute discussion that he had or a tirade or a soliloquy or whatever you want to call it. Just uh, He was talking to somebody, and it's one minute of his conversation, and they did this really cool thing with his words. They animated his words in real time as hmm. he's speaking and in clever ways, but that's not really what it's all about. It's about what he said. If you go to tinyurl.com slash Ira Glass Nails It, I-R-A Glass Nails It. This is a YouTube video. It's about one minute, and it's about the creative process. Right. And it's about how most people give up at the most critical point. And uh, to, to summarize, he says, when you're creative and you're trying to create stuff, you start out, you, you create a lot. You do a lot of things, and you have great taste. The problem is, you know, because you have great taste, that the product that you're creating isn't good because you're new, right? But you still have great taste. And... Uh, and the problem is most people quit right there. But right. Uh, he's, he says that's the worst thing you can possibly do. The best thing you can do is just keep creating and don't quit. And he says it in such a more elegant way than I just did. <laughs> Trust me, it's great. And it's good for you and it's good for anybody who's just struggling with, you know, I'll never be a this or I'll never do a that or I'll never be able to do this. It's great for that. Nice. Ira Glass nails it. There's very little that Ira Glass does that isn't worth a look, you know. Really true. He's one of those guys. Yep. And uh, who's talking to us today, Richard? Grab a comment off of show 1006, which was 90 shows ago. It's hard to imagine. Uh, the show was entitled The Future of Durandal with Rob Eisenberg for various reasons. And yeah. this comment comes from Andy who says, Hi, chaps. Great show as always, and I always get a nice warm feeling when I listen to Rob. He just seems to be so on the ball with what developers want. Yeah. Well, can't argue with that. Yeah. I must say that there's so much flux at the moment with the perceived comings and goings of Durandal, i.e. Rob has left for Angular, this surely must hurt Durandal, and again, the perceived upheaval with the breaking changes from moving to Angular 1 to Angular 2, that's not an update, that's a rewrite. That it's hard to know where to start with a Greenfield single-page application. Clearly, Knockout's the answer, but okay, let's move on from there. Given that since the podcast was recorded, Rob has now left the Angular team, any chance you can get him back for another insightful chat? No. No, Sorry. not a chance. Nope, not going to happen. Nope, we won't do that. I'm tr I was just trying to do inventory of how many emails, comments, tweets we've gotten saying... Yep. Please get Rob Eisenberg back on the show. Yep. I need to know what's going on. People want to know what's going on. 
for sure. So, Andy, uh, thank you so much for your comment. It was several weeks ago, but I think I, when Rob first announced that he was leaving Angular, I pinged him right away, and it's taken time for us to get in place, so now it's happening. Andy, thanks for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NETrocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, Windows 8, and iOS. Before we go any further, let me tell you, Pluralsight is home to the largest technology and creative training library on the planet. They have thousands of professional developer, IT admin, and creative courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. They release new courses daily and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes. So try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And that brings us to Rob. Rob Eisenberg is a widely recognized UI development expert. He is the creator of Caliburn.micro and Durandal and a former Angular 2.0 team member. He's currently building a new tech startup, Durandal Incorporated, whose first product is the new open source framework, Aurelia. Did I say that right, Rob? It's it's good. It's good. Aurelia? How do you say Aurel- it? Aurelia, Aurelia. Areola? No. Uh, <laughs> anything but that is, is, is good. <laughs> close. So, so what's close. up? What you been doing, what's dude? What's up, Rob? <laughs> uh, it's been a roller coaster. Uh, <laughs> gosh, I know it must seem crazy from the outside. It's Believe me, it's been kind of, it's been equally crazy from my perspective, um, you know, just in terms of, uh, kind of joining up with a, a rather big organization as a consultant and trying to work from the inside and bring ideas in and, yeah. and then, you know, things change over time. There's lots of competing forces and you find yourself in a place where, um, you're not sure if, uh, if, if this is the direction you want to go. And so wrestling with those choices and ultimately I, I came to the conclusion that it was, probably best to return to uh where i'd come from you know and i gotta say your blog post was uh elegant they the leaving angular blog post i thought you put a lot of thought into those words and uh, and i appreciated them like that's that's a challenging conversation to have in a polite way that really captures you know your your real meanings well i'll tell you what the trick to that is you 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 write a blog post then you send it to some trusted friends yeah and you let them read it. And then when they tell you to cut things, you take their advice. <laughs> <laughs> and then you and then you sleep on it. Yeah. And then you read it again. And then you and then you and then you post it. It was very difficult to write. And uh I'm, I'm fortunate to have some some good close friends who uh including my father actually, he gives me lots of good advice. Um I can tell you the number of times so, I've written an email in anger. But I, I never put the email address who I want to send it to in right away. I just save it in my drafts, go to bed. It should be taught in school. Yeah, get right. up the next morning, read it again, and go, wow, I was pissy, <laughs> and then fix it so up. So, for those who haven't read the blog post, what was the gist of it? Uh, you know, it basically comes down to the fact that, you know, when back at, in early 2014, I was starting work on sort of a new version of Durandal, uh, uh, imagining a new version with new tech. And uh, and the Angular team was getting ready to start work on their new version. And um, we got in contact, and they looked at how, what I was doing, and it, you know, it, it looked very similar. And so they said, you know, we're going in the direct, same direction, let's, let's join forces. And so I worked with them for a few months, actually, kind of under the radar, uh, for the very purpose of basically wanting to be sure that before I committed to this, um, 
you know, I, I, I knew that it was going in a direction that, that I was happy about. Yeah. And it looked, it looked that way. Uh, and in fact, you guys had me on a show and I was very positive about yep. it uh, not too long after that. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I, and I'm not joking about this, but literally probably a week or two after that podcast aired, things started to shift a little bit. And, you know, with, with a situation like this, um, you know, I tried to be an influencer inside and, you know, you argue your opinions and you, but you also try to give people the benefit of the doubt and weight things and, and try and go back and forth. And, um, so I, I did that for a while then, um, really trying to push things back in a direction I thought was better. And there came a point more or less where it was clear that, uh, and I know I'm being super vague here and <laughs> it's only, it's only fair. I think we understand. Uh, yeah, sure. There came a point where there was sort of a, a critical mass of uh, of details that I was uncomfortable with, and um, I decided, you know, it was it was best to leave it at that point. And of course, we we parted on good terms. I mean, I had yeah. a great time working with the team. It's a really great group of people, really intelligent, really nice, great environment they have up there. Um, there's, you know, we're um, we're all trying to solve hard problems and. Uh, it's, it's, so we parted on good terms and everything. So it's, it's got to be an interesting experience to work on an open quote open source project with that large of a paid team. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's 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 unique. I mean, there's now I think maybe there was something like twenty people around the time that I left. There was close to twenty people that were uh, participating in some way. Right. Uh, internal or external consultants. Yeah. Well, some of them were basically, I was a consultant, a full time paid consultant to Google. Right. And, uh, so some of them were people like me and uh, most of them were, uh, employees. Uh, but some people were working on docs tech and some people were working on testing tech and not everybody was working on the core of the framework per se, but there's a lot of things, you know, that go into something like this. And you, um, you're being vague and I understand that you had differences of how things should be done, but, there's, is there any general area where you can talk about where your differences were? So uh, one very broad brushstroke sort sort of I think is that Angular 2.0 looks like it's turned out to be a much more what I would call a much more restrictive uh, sort of a framework. Um, whereas Angular 1.0 is, is it, it has its quirks, right? But you can you can do just about anything you want with it and you right. can kind of hack, you can hack around things pretty easily. Angular 2.0 is very much, um, much more restrictive in the sense that there's usually one way to do things and you have to do it that way. And the framework will actively sort of prevent you from not doing it that way. Now there's a sense in which that's good because you think, well, I only have to learn one way to do things, but there's also a sense in which that's bad and that if you hit a roadblock, you don't really have many options. Um, and right. that's that's a really broad brushstroke that actually plays out in a number of different decisions in terms of, you know, developer experience for what you have to do to build things, and in terms of what features surface to developers to actually use. Uh, and uh, that's not a really a categorization. I think that they would necessarily make. So this is my total, completely my language, but that's how I felt. Uh, that's the, this is the most broadest stroke that I could probably cast everything else under. 
And that made okay. me feel very uncomfortable because um, I the frameworks that I've built, I always focus a lot on extensibility because you know my my job over the last ten years has been as an independent consultant, and every every project I go into is is very different. And sometimes people have to do things, developers have to do things that you would just never think of. And you say, why, you know, why would you do that? Why would you do that? You know, and then you look at their, um, the details of their business. You look at the details of, uh, develop, even the developer culture, team culture, a whole bunch of different aspects that flow into those decisions. And then you can say, okay, I know why you're doing this now. I know why you have to do this. Yeah. So you, you, you don't want to, what, what you hate, the situation you hate to be in is if you adopt a library or framework and you get six months in and then you... It throws a wall in front of you. It's like, no, this is as far as you go. Yeah, it may not have anything to do with, with you. It could be totally political, uh, something that comes up in the company that puts you in a situation where you have to do something a certain way. And then uh, you don't want to have the framework, the libraries, or the tools um, you know, preventing you from doing that. And I'm not saying that this is going to be the case with Angular 2.0. No. But I'm saying that the sense that I felt was that things were a lot more restrictive and I was afraid that there was a higher possibility of that. Now, it all still remains to be seen. Um, well, and I'm sympathetic I- to their position too because, I mean, spas have obviously got a tremendous amount of traction and I think we're moving more and more mortal developers are looking at this and I think they want pretty prescriptive guidance. Like there's an argument to be made in favor of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, I think it's a hard... A hard balance to strike Without because you you want to make it easy to learn and you want people to to know how to accomplish tasks. Right, but nothing ever goes according to plan. <laughs> uh, Guthrie's got a line with the way they were designing Azure. He said, "I want you to fall into the pit of success." Yep. But he then that means he defines success for you. Right. But I can also see in your position. I mean, you're not that kind of dev. You are a, a very experienced developer. You've worked on some serious projects. You know you need flexibility in a lot of circumstances. I could totally see how that would just not work for you. That's not how you work. Right. So that was that was difficult, you know, based on my own experience. And also looking at the Durandal, the existing Durandal community who I'd hoped to migrate over. Right. I started to think like, wow, I don't know that they're, they're not going to come. Happy. Yeah, they're not going to come. They're they're not going to be happy about this. It might not in certain scenarios. It might not really be possible um, for them to to do that. And um, you know, and a bunch of factors like that kind of piled up. And I said, you know, it's not what they're building is bad, but it's different than than what I want to build. And I think it's not what my existing community wants. Right. And I think it's probably best for me to return to where I was at and. Um, pick up where I left off, basically, because before I joined them, I had actually a working prototype of a new version, and I just kind of left that lying around, you know, uh, for whatever ten months. And so I said, you know, that was that was not uh, that was not bad. Let me let me take those ideas and and make this more than a prototype, you know. Right. Yep. Which I guess brings us to uh, the most recent blog posts, and uh, you you sort of coming out announcement. Aurelia? Yes. Yeah, so it's really, in a sense, it's like Durandal, you know, next, next. It's, um, it's you could think of it as the child or the grandchild of Durandal because it's very similar in its ideology about how you go about building things, convention-based patterns and 
um, trying to stay out of the developer's way in, in terms of you're not seeing the framework a whole lot. Um, but it is, um, but I didn't want to call it Durandal because it really is a rewrite. And, um, and so we, I basically decided to give it a new name and, and to provide a migration path for Durandal developers who I think if you've used Durandal and you watch the video, it will probably just make sense to you because it's very much in the same frame of mind. But what we wanted to do was look at what is happening in the browser today, one year, two years, three years out, and say, let's build a, try and basically build a next generation platform here and use the latest of what's available, um, not put any restrictions on ourselves in terms of that, and try and come up with the best developer experience that we can from a framework perspective. So that means using ECMAScript 6. So what does a framework look like that lives in a world where you have native modules and classes and lambdas and all mm. these sorts of things? Promises are part of the of the infrastructure and all these capabilities, a modern DOM implementation, um, and uh, looking at the world of web components, which is not entirely standardized, but emerging, and there's a lot of ideas there. So looking at all these things, can we imagine a new framework in the same spirit of Durandal, if you will, but that is um, using these technologies. And then can we find a way to basically make it work on today's browsers? Um, and so that's kind of what Aurelia is. And Aurelia is actually written entirely in ECMAScript 6 itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it uses 6 to 5, which is a just a killer um, a transpiler that will compile six to, ES6 code into... ES5 code basically, and it's they're they're very feature complete, very highly spec compliant, uh, high quality output, and so the entire framework is actually uh, written in ES6. It's completely modular, it's split into 20, 20 some odd libraries that are each independent. They're all built as ES6 modules, and um, some of them, a number of them, you can use actually outside of the framework. So it's actually built. In that way, if you want, for example, if you want dependency injection, just you just take that library. You can use it on Node in Node on the server. You could use it in a standard web web app outside of Aurelia. So hmm. there's a bunch of the libraries that are built that way. Try to apply. You know, when we have classes and modules, and if you and if you build a little DI framework, and it's actually not very complicated what we built, but it's it's powerful. Um, then you can start to apply more easily all the sorts of patterns and practices that you would typically um, apply if you were building a server-side framework. So all the modularization patterns, certain types of abstraction patterns, and, and, and the kinds of things that you would, you would do there, you can do them on the client. And then if you break them out into different repos and you have a good package manager, then it means it gets very easy for people to import individual pieces to use as one-offs or to bring down the entire framework to build an entire app. So... Um, you know, that comes out of the whole ES6 side of the story. To be clear here, it's not like you just threw everything that you've done before away and started over, right? I mean, this is essentially the the next um, generation, shall we say, of stuff that you've done in Durandal. And, right. Yeah. And and you have provide migration paths for Durandal and Angular users as well, right? Yeah. So those docs aren't written, but um, but they'll be appearing Um it's it'll be super straightforward for Durandal users because a lot of the 
patterns and conventions and namings and everything else that we used in Durandal are there in Aurelia. In fact, the router, the new router we have, basically started as a port of Durandal's router. Wow. It was just fixed up, converted to ES6, fixed up. We were able to fix a bunch of issues we couldn't really fix without making big breaking changes in the previous version. Um, so that's how the router started. And, and all the patterns, the conventions around how you put views and view models together to build screens, the same exact conventions. Uh, we have the same kind of life cycle to, to a screen. So we have the same kind of event callbacks that you would have used in Durandal. So you know you would get these callbacks for binding and for when it's attached to the DOM. And we have those same callbacks. Um, we have the same kind of life cycle um, for navigation, same callbacks there. Um, there's a, so it, it, it looks like if you were to start from scratch writing Durandal with modern technologies, you think, okay, this is, this is what it would be. And I actually saw someone say, like, they looked at Aurelia and they thought, oh, looking back at what Rob did with Durandal, it seems like Aurelia is what he really wanted to do, but he wasn't able to do it yet. Yeah. And I think that that's probably a pretty accurate description of Aurelia. It's kind of, if we basically uh, start with all the modern stuff and we don't take necessarily any dependencies. So Aurelia has no third-party dependencies except for polyfills. So right. it's completely self-contained except for the polyfills it uses to patch up you know, missing web components pieces or missing ES6 library features or whatnot. Um, so other than that, there's no external um, stuff. So we built a brand new templating engine, a brand new data binding engine, uh, all this kind of stuff. And by doing that, we were able to, instead of you kind of adapting existing libraries, um, you know, it's a trade-off, but we're able to take control of the process and get things working more correctly than we could have before, basically. You have a dynamic UI generation feature now, right? Yeah. Yeah, What's that actually that? comes out of that actually comes out of Durandal, um, but it's kind of again reimagined in Aurelia. So we have this um, this custom element called Compose, and what you can do it's it's very much um, akin to if you come from the XAML world, it's very much like um, like implicit data templates. So you you can basically say, here's an object, please render it, yeah. and and it will go out and it will find a view and data bind it and render it. And But you can do much more dynamic things. So, you know, for example, imagine you have a list, you know, an array of data. And it's a, it's a heterogeneous list, you know. Um, so you might have um, employee in that list and you might have manager in that list and you might have direct report in that, you know. Um, all these different maybe types of data that are similar but maybe slightly nuanced. And you can take and repeat over the list in the UI and then use this compose binding and dynamically say, okay, well, for um, based on the type, I want to load this particular view model, um, which will get its particular view. So you can render out a whole list and have unique views and unique behavior for each item in the list. Wow. And that all happens dynamically based off of the data. And it's just through the data binding system that under the covers basically uses what, what we kind of call our composition engine that understands these conventions and these basic pieces. And so you can dynamically construct a very complex UI that way based off of data. And an example, an extreme example of this, something I did with Durandal, um, which you can do with Aurelia, because I was my goal was to make sure that like these same use cases with Durandal could be handled easily or, I mean, the same or better basically with Aurelia. 
So an extreme use case was um, I was doing some work on a game development project. I was actually building tooling for non-programmers. So I built this sort of scripting type uh, app where they could basically do some visual scripting. And basically, the entire UI was a uh, using composition to render an abstract syntax tree of a language. So, you know, if you've ever looked at AST structures, it's a tree structure, you know, so you have a root and then there's children and then those children have children, those children have children, so on and so forth. And, um, and so you could actually render out the entire, uh, structure with a single, single line of HTML that can basically recursively composed, uh, itself and based off of Mm. what type of node it was in the AST, you know, whether it was, um, you know, a, a binary expression or whether it was an if-else type of thing or whatever, based off of what type of AST node it was, it would find the right view model with had behavior for editing that node and the right view that would render a graphical output of it. Are we moving towards XAML for for the web? So uh, I wouldn't say we're moving towards XAML per se. Uh, I'm, we're not implementing XAML. No, but no, no, there but are... that, that, that level of uh, composability. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of good ideas in XAML. I think the data templates thing uh, was really good. And we did this kind of thing with Calibre Micro too, where you could basically data bind to an object and we conventionally would find the view and the view model and do that kind of thing. And Mm. it would work recursively as well. And so that idea, um, I just have brought that idea along with each library and tried to make it a little bit better yeah. Uh, each time, and so that that finds its way in its in Aurelia, and it's it's uh it's just it's 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 really powerful. I think when you think, um, you know, there's different ways to compose UI. One with is with a router, and a lot of people use the router to do this as well, where they set up routes and that maps to a view model, and those view models can have child routers that have kind of child routes, and and you can do it that way, but not not all aspects of your UI um, need to necessarily be associated with some portion of the URL. So sometimes you have dynamic composition or sometimes you're building a desktop app mm. and you don't, you don't even care about the history stack at all, but you just want to dynamically construct some UI based off of data. So, um, yes- so yesterday we did a show with Corey house on web components, and this is on my mind today. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- how do you see web components fitting into, to the uh, Aurelia? Puzzle. Yeah, so I have, oh man, I have uh, mixed feelings about web components. Uh-huh. Um, I think to start out, um, let me just say what Aurelia does, and then I'll tell you some of my opinions. So, right. um, web components is kind of four specs. I don't know if I, I didn't hear that show yet, so I don't know if, if you covered this, but it basically it's more or less custom elements, um, HTML imports, Shadow DOM, yep. and then HTML template, and sometimes uh, people say uh, say uh, uh, scope styles. That's sort of under Shadow DOM, but right. but those pieces. Um, and so what Aurelia does is it uses most of that technology, and so we use HTML imports to load our views. There's some nice benefits for that sure. because you can you can do like linked style sheets and all that kind of stuff. Um, we use uh, we enable Shadow DOM, so when you create a custom element, you can basically give us a little metadata that says, "Hey, I want this to be rendered in Shadow DOM." So we'll do that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then along with that comes the scope styles. We're actually doing a little bit of work to improve that right now. And then we use HTML template element because it's it's a no brainer. Um, now the piece we don't use is custom elements, right? And and in my opinion, well. There's a number of issues with the with the different parts of the specs, but you don't in an application framework. 
So if you're going to build an Aurelia app, you don't really get any benefit from using document.registerElement to create custom elements. Um, because you already have to have a template compiler anyways to handle data binding. So you can handle the, t the, the custom elements right there. And it's just as easy, and it gives you more control over the lifecycle of the element. So you can do very smart things like say, okay, because we got data binding and custom elements, we want to make sure that we don't put we don't put the view into the DOM until after we evaluate the initial data binding, right? Um, and then we can we can kind of control the lifecycle of of when things update, when property change events occur, much easier. And we can make sure that things get constructed outside of the DOM in a predictable fashion before it goes into the DOM. And that's good for performance, very good for performance. So anytime you're working detached from the DOM is good because you don't you can't accidentally trigger like layout and flows and things like that. So we actually get a lot more control over the whole process by not actually implementing our core custom elements with document.registerElement because we, we lose control of the, of the element lifecycle and other things that way which we like to control, particularly when it comes to interfacing things with, with data binding. Now, we probably, before, v, before we hit V1, we will probably have an optional plugin to the library that lets you wrap up an Aurelia element as a web component, as a custom element. Okay. And the use case for that is somebody builds something cool with Aurelia that's a custom element, you want to use it in a not, outside of an Aurelia app, just as a custom element. So that is a use case that we want to support. We don't support it right now um, because right now we're really focused around the application development experience and the application framework type pieces. But what I hear you saying is you do have a component model. Yes. That's very reusable and pluggable. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really solid component model. It's modeled in ways that make sense. It's modeled after uh, stuff that web components do. Uh, do. So, it, so you have these attached and detached and created callbacks, the same as web components. But we the all know that web components aren't supported by IE. Are all of the pieces that you import, for, that you use in, uh, of web components, do you, are all of those supported in IE? So the, no. Um, and the only browser where, they are, where all pieces are supported is Chrome. Um, and, but various browsers support various pieces of them. So pretty yeah. much every browser supports HTML template element, except for IE. We have a polyfill for that. So we okay. have our own polyfill. It's actually, I extracted it from Polymer because they didn't have that as a separate polyfill. So we extracted it, fixed it up a little bit. And so we provide a standalone HTML element, uh, polyfill for IE. HTML imports is not everywhere. I think it's maybe behind a flag or it's being worked on for Firefox. I can't remember. But we use a polyfill for that. Um, Shadow DOM is interesting because there, there is a polyfill for that. But um, our Shadow DOM implementation will work without the polyfill. So we have kind of a lightweight, super fast fallback for Shadow DOM that works yeah. only for Aurelia elements. So it's kind of like if you play within our, if you build element, elements the way we build them, then we know certain kind of things about the whole process. So we can provide a really lightweight polyfill. Well, hold that thought because Richard, you know what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to spend the day walking around with Mr. Deloise, going everywhere he goes and doing everything he does. It's time 
to Shadow Dom. Oh, jeez. I saw that one coming. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, I'm working for Mel Brooks. <laughs> It's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription from DevExpress to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Awesome, dude. So who's our winner? Today's winner is Nevin Lee. Congratulations, Nevin. Yeah. I'll clap for you, sir. Yeah, round of applause for Nevin. He just won a D-Experience subscription. Actually, I think they're giving away Universal now. I'm going to have to oh, double wow. check. But uh, anyway, he won a big pile of awesome from DevExpress. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we're giving away $5,000 worth of technology, a shopping spree, to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up in order to be eligible. Uh, we also like to ask our guest, Rob Eisenberg, if you had five grand to spend shopping spree time on technology, what would you buy? Right now, there's only one thing I want really bad. It's not available yet, but I would save all my money for it. Okay. And it is the new Microsoft HoloLens. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's what I've been waiting for. I mean, I've seen all the Google Glass and all the VR stuff, but what I really yeah. wanted was something like this. This is, this is, you want so, augmented reality. Yes. True uh, augmented reality. And uh, so if this is anything remotely like the fancy marketing videos, uh, then uh, I am totally on board with that. Well, I mentioned this in Better Know Framework yesterday, but um, I heard a rumor from the inside that it works exactly like those videos show, that it's a self-contained item, does not, it's a self-contained computing device, does not tether anything, doesn't require any external power or anything else. And uh, that it projects the holograms right into your retinas. So it's not a display. It's not an LCD or an LED little display like Google Glass. It's actually messing with your eyes. And Although uh, it does remind me of that episode of, I don't know if you guys watched Star Trek. Star Trek. Barkley. Yes. Barkley. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Star Are we Trek. talking about Barkley or are we talking about the game? The game. The game the that game. was addictive. Yes, yeah. the addictive game. Yeah, that's going to be real. This thing but, is going to uh, be highly addictive, I'm sure. But uh, I would, uh, you know, I I don't have really amazingly creative ideas, but I would love to do like board gaming type stuff with three dimensional stuff projected out, and I, I just think that would be a ton of fun. Things like that. Well, they're going to be talking about it at Build, and the rumor on the street again, I can't confirm this. I just heard a scuttlebutt that uh, they might be giving those away because it's going to be shipping soon thereafter they said it's going to be in the windows 10 timeline so who knows when but uh, i also heard june as a possible date but i haven't heard this from microsoft so don't you know take it for what it is if i had heard it from microsoft i couldn't tell you 
<laughs> well, I'm saving my money, so uh, we'll see. I'm going to wait. Uh, it's uh, it's almost hard to believe uh, that it's as good as you know it it is portrayed as being from the videos. So, but uh, I would love to. If it it's also close, tracks your body. That would be awesome. It also tracks your body. It's got basically got a connect on it, and uh, it also knows what room you're in. So. You leave the room, the holograms stay right there. You go back in, and they're still there. That's slick. Yeah. I am with you. I'm more skeptical. I mean, I, having had a Google Glass and dealt with the battery challenges, and, yep. and uh, you know, there's a lot that has to work right. And, and one thing MSR has a record for is bad development models, and that could really impair this product. Well, you know, the development model seems good, but what they what they like to do is mess things up. They overcomplicate and rethink, and everybody gets their fingers in the pie, and then it comes out being something completely different. But I think in terms of, like, Surface was only prob- programmable in C++ for a long time. Yeah. And mm. then finally they made a WPF version that was almost impossible. And it, like, it just if you can't get the run-of-the-mill dev to actually be able to contribute to this, you're not going to get the diversity of apps that's going to get traction. Well, you know, it's a different Microsoft now. You know that. It's more I hope. more .NET friendly. And I've got uh, my uh, I got my fingers crossed that that maybe they'll they'll hook up with Unity 3D or something and maybe make it work with the free version of their tools because yeah. that that would be killer. I mean, I certainly hope so. And based on what I know about Connect uh, and all of that stuff, it seems likely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the trick will be to be able to take control of a problem as tricky as how do I keep something in the same place on the wall from your eyes perspective while you move? Like, if I have to write that code, we've got problems. Yeah, I can only hope that that's a totally abstracted away. Uh, you would hope. Because <laughs> yeah. that's a really tough problem. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be abstracted. Otherwise, what's the point? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's serious plumbing work, but... Um, but um, apparently, from those who know, uh, the experience is exactly like the videos. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to to trying it out. So we'll see. We'll see. Me too. All right, where were we? Aurelia, web components, the best, picking the best of of all of those things. This is what you're trying to do, and 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 we also made a note that you're a big fan of XAML, and you know, like that composability and that. Uh, power and expressiveness and hopefully someday we'll get there yeah well i you know i wrestled with xaml i had kind of a love-hate relationship with it because uh it felt uh like they they wanted it to be um human readable and writable but also toolable and i felt Mm. that it was hard to do both of those things i don't know and so the, the human writing experience was pretty uh rough sometimes um yeah so but i like the ideas of composability and some of the core platform ideas about uh, data binding and and data templates and these kind of things. So the so to take conceptually these ideas and see what they look like on the web, I think is really valuable. So you know we've got data binding and uh, it doesn't look like XAML, but I think it looks like uh, a very readable, very easy to type kind of uh, a syntax. Mm-hmm. We well, yeah, I think I if know. you see it, it makes sense. I don't know if you're following Twitter right now, but we basically asked for questions for you. And so a swarm of them have come in and a couple people, a couple of people have both asked the same question. What, uh, what does it look like in Visual Studio? What, what do we, do we get anything in Visual Studio for Aurelia? 
Um, you know, we're actually talking with um, with the tooling team because mainly our first goal is to make sure that the because we do everything with ECMAScript six, we really want um, ECMAScript six to be great in Visual Studio. So yeah. that's kind of the first the first step, and they don't have that yet. So we're uh, there's actually some um, issues out on their user vo voice site where you can vo vo uh, vote for various ES6 features to be supported in the editor. So I would just tell people, go vote for those because that's kind of the first part of the experience because we're really trying to push uh, people writing ECMAScript 6 or writing in TypeScript, which does have great support and we support as well. Mm. Um, but picking one of these kinds of languages that is um, in line with either ES6 or in line with ES6 or lining up with ES6 like TypeScript is, and so that's the first part there. Um, there's some stuff around the HTML editor that um, has been fixed that makes our syntax not be squiggly or whatever, you know. Sure. Um, there's some custom attributes that we're, we can hook up so they'll appear IntelliSense. So we're doing, we're looking into all that kind of stuff right now. Um, beyond that, uh, we'll just have to, we'll just have to see, you know, the Visual Studio team is right in the middle of crazy times right now. Yeah, at least from what I can tell, because the next version of all this stuff is kind of like they're trying to wrap that up as far as I can tell. Mm. So um, main thing for this first round is to make sure that kind of the real core uh, pieces like ES6 are supported well. And that's stuff that will benefit everybody, you know, not just Aurelia users. And, it was even, uh, you know, you said right at the beginning, near the beginning of the show here that, you know, Aurelia or somebody had commented to you that Aurelia was what you'd always wanted to Randall to be. Is ES6 sort of that linchpin that this was the technology you needed to really go where you wanted to go with Aurelia? Yeah, it's a really, really important part. Um, and that has to do with language features. It also has to do a lot with the standardization of how modules work, which is partially in the language, partially in the runtime, partially API stuff for that. Uh, it has to do with the progression of package managers and tooling, transpilers, the right. emergence of things like Gulp that make it really easy uh, to put together a rather what have been really comp complicated a couple of years ago. I think to set up a build process that did what we're doing today is yeah. super simple. Um, we use uh, JSPM as our default package manager, which hmm. is an absolutely amazing tool. It's not as well known yet. Um, so it's it's akin to something like Bower, but JSPM is uh, is a package manager that understands um, the the ES6 loader, and the benefit of having your loader and your package manager understand one another is that it transforms the development experience because you can basically say, all right, I wanted this package; it's on npm, you know, JSPM install npm colon blah, 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 the ID of the package. And then in your JavaScript code, you can say import foo from the name of the package, right? So you get a one-line install of the package, and you get a one-line import in your code, and it's the same identifier in both places. So there's no, um, there's no crazy like trying to map things and configure weird stuff. And it's just it's very elegant. It's, it's very much like Visual Studio add reference, and then you know, let me write my using statement or my import statement, you know, to bring in the classes that I want. It's the exact same um, experience, basically, but for JavaScript. And that kind of a technology makes a huge difference. 
um, when you can assume certain things about the loader and when you can get rid of all the, like we use require.js for Durandal, but system.js uh, is the loader that goes with JSPM. It's built on the ES6 standard and it does a lot of the stuff require.js stuff does. But what's yeah. nice about it is it generates all the configuration automatically for you as part of that um, installation of the package. So you don't have to write any of that. You just install the package and then go import it in your code and use it. Off um, you go. And so this basically right now, there's just a whole bunch of pieces that are coming together. ES6 loaders and package managers, much better build tooling, um, the emergence of web components, the, um, the modern DOM, which still needs a lot of work, but is much more consistent across the browsers, much faster. It's actually much more well-known. We know a lot more now about, um, you know, there's a lot more community knowledge now about how do you write JavaScript code that's fast in terms of how the virtual machines behave, in terms of what kind of interactions with the DOM are slow versus fast. Um, so there's a huge buildup of a lot of different pieces that come together and are sort of the environment in which Aurelia can come into existence, basically. So I try and leverage all that as much as possible. And my perspective is always on developer experience. So my, what? our first goal is to have a nice, I want, I want to enjoy my work. It's just, it's, it's really comes down to that. I don't want to feel like when I have to build an app that I am having to satisfy uh, weird uh, idiosyncrasies of a framework, or I don't want to fight against my tools. I want to think about the app that I want to build and I want to enjoy the experience. And so that usually involves getting a lot of stuff out of the way, trying to find the right abstractions, trying uh, trying to find the right APIs, but also making it so that you don't have to think about them uh, or use them even a lot of the times. Right. And so um, uh, all that kind of feeds into Aurelia, and that's kind of where we're focusing on. What is this? What does this new developer experience look like for the web for rich apps? And how can we leverage all of this this critical mass of pieces to try and create that? I got to say, like ES6, we never did a show on it. It doesn't even look like JavaScript. It looks like a whole new language in the browser. I mean, it's, yeah. it, well, it really does. How, for example? Well, classes are going to be something that are going to jump out at people a lot. Um, so you've got classes, you've got inheritance. Classes have static methods. They have instance methods. Um, you can define properties. Um, and then you've got modules. So you can import other modules and export cool. things out of your module. So you can define a public API for your module by simply saying, okay, here's what I'm actually going to export. This is the public API. And then someone else imports it, and that's what they get. Um, and so those are pretty big pieces. Lambda expressions. I mean, this is uh, really a big deal because you have all these problems with um, having the wrong this when you pass around callbacks or whatnot. So now you can just use a, an arrow function or a lambda function to do that. And especially cool. in a world of asynchronous programming, um, that that's a huge just because of typing and readability of the code. Promises are part of ES6. So, you know, ES6 has runtime capabilities, library capabilities, and language capabilities. So promises are sort of on the API slash runtime. But that also jives very nicely with having lambdas. Um, so all these pieces start to come together. You know, people have looked at Aurelia and said, like, actually, this I feel like I'm programming in .NET or something here because... I've got my import statements, I've got my classes, I've got my lambdas, um, I've got data binding, 
and I've got you know explicit application lifecycle, the modularity. Um, it makes sense. I think actually people that have been where have steered clear of JavaScript with ES6, if they're willing to give it a new look, I think they'll find something that feels uh, much more comfortable to them. Sure. Um, and ES6 just has a ton of features. I mean, I haven't even named half of them. There's there's um, a lot more API features with maps and and weak maps. There's stuff around. Um, there's string templating. There's um, uh, rest parameters and um, um, just all kinds of little details. Um, Luke Hovan, who uh, I think is involved with TypeScript, has a repo on GitHub that basically uh, explains and gives examples of all the features. And it's completely worth just taking whatever time you have to read through that whole thing and grok every, everything that's there. And uh, you can also go to 6 to 5. Uh, I think it's 6to5.org. And that's the transpiler that we're using. And they have a link to that, but they also have lots of docs there. And you can just kind of explore what ECMAScript 6 is really about. Now, to get even crazier, right, um, Aurelia actually uses some ECMAScript 7 stuff as well. Um, <laughs> so, so you've gone completely nuts. Yeah, you are yeah we got completely, completely nuts. In. Yeah, so our data binding system will use object observe if it's present for binding. Um, and that's part of ES7, slated to be part of ES7. And, uh, and we have a fallback also if it's not there. We have kind of a polyfill, which is unique. And... Um, but the cool thing about what's happening with JavaScript now, too, you know, ES6 is a huge upgrade to the language. Like, it fundamentally, it looks and feels like a different language. If you haven't looked at JavaScript in a while, uh, it's, you're going to wonder what you're looking at for a minute. Um, but um, the great thing is, you know, all the releases have been years between each release. Um, and it's progressed really slowly. But with ES6, it's kind of the last time they're doing that. And right now... They're taking a very similar approach to, to like the way Microsoft does language design, actually, and that they've got parallel work going on. So ES7 is already being worked on uh, while ES6 is being um, ratified or whatever phase it's at right now. Hmm. It's, it's, it'll be wrapped up in the next couple months or whatever. There's already work on ES7. There's already proposals out. And there's also a change in cadence that's going to be happening. So, uh, And I think that there's – I'm not sure if this is nailed down yet, but they're going to be renaming – uh, the standards. So like ES7 probably won't be called ES7. It'll probably be called like ES15 or something like that. And they're going to start moving towards an annual cadence. Wow. And the idea is, to, wow, is to keep evolving the the language and to do it in a more modular fashion because ES6 is this huge set of features and no one's going to implement all of ES6 in one big go. They're going to implement individual features like they're going to implement classes or they're going to implement lambdas or they're going to implement let or const or something like this. Right. So with this in mind, they're saying let's just let's just release a spec every year, and whatever we get done, we're going to put it in that year's spec, and then browser manufacturers can know that it's safe to start implementing uh, and putting into production these particular language features. So you're going to see JavaScript evolve a lot more um, rapidly over the next few years, and and transpilers like six to five will be sitting in the middle, so that I think over time you'll kind of pick what your target browsers are. And I think over time, they'll be able to say, like, well, we know that browsers, these browsers support this natively and, and, and this they don't. So we're going to transpile optimally for that. But over time, things will fall away. You know? I mean, that's, and that's part of the challenge with the whole transpilation problem is how do I let – presuming that the native ES6 implementation would be faster than a transpiled ES5 implementation, 
how do I let code that is written in ES6 that can run on this browser run and transpile that which can't? Right. That's that's definitely the trick that they're going to be having to deal with coming up. And, and TypeScript is actually in this boat now. They've started some work. They made some announcements on work that they're doing there. Um, but over time... You know, I think what will happen is the transpilers will continue to focus on future features and the stuff that they're transpiling will just start to fall away. And it's the same story with polyfills. You'll notice we, yeah. there was this whole big deal about HTML5, but there's really no there, there's really no such thing as that anymore. What there are, are these individual specs, you know, there's the web component spec or, you know, which is mm. really this a few individual specs which each get implemented by the browser vendors. So you do feature detection and you polyfill what's not there. And over time, the polyfills just fall away. And so the idea oh. also behind Aurelia is that over time, Aurelia will hopefully get smaller rather than larger because right. the polyfills will actually fall away and more things will run native in the browser. And so yeah. it should get smaller and faster um, over time. That's a great, and, great view of the future. And part of that we'll see if it happens, is- right? But that's, 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 I think, what everybody is gearing for right hope. now. That's the way they want it to work. And then part of that solution is decomposing this. There's too much stuff in ES6. Oh, yeah. It needs to be broken into smaller pieces so that they can be individually transpiled, individually polyfilled. Like, that's what you want. So you can pick up the pieces you want. Hey, Rob. Exactly. What's your favorite JavaScript editor, even for Node and things like that? Um, I actually use Sublime a lot these days. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on a Mac uh, mostly. I actually, it's funny. I kind of switched to a Mac while I was working with Angular because I was like the only person not on a Mac and it was. Causing a slight bit of friction. So I was like, well, I needed a new computer anyway. So I was like, well, I guess I'll do that. You caved uh, the peer so pressure. <laughs> I did. I totally caved the peer pressure. That's I'm actually good. really happy with it. For um, It's great for doing um, JavaScript development. The tooling runs really fast. Um, the console is, it's a really great console and, you, and all the tooling runs well. So Are you running um, boot camp so you can run Windows as well? I do have that, but I don't. Uh, I've got a my old laptop is sitting right next to me with Windows 8 on wow. it or 8.1, so I just kind of hop over there most of the time. That's easy, easier than rebooting. Yep, yep. Very cool. All right, Rob. So if I'm listening to this and I'm casually interested in uh, those conversations that I'm no doubt going to have after I listen to this, somebody says, "Why would I use Aurelia at, over, uh, you know, Angular 2? What is the what's the first thing that you say? Well, I think I would echo uh, the main one thing I've been trying to drive home, which is really developer experience and extensibility. You're not going to hit any kind of barrier, and you're going to feel, I think, a lot more comfortable uh, as a developer working with this. Um, that's that's yeah. sort of what it's about for me. Uh, I start there, and then once I get that, once I'm happy with it, and I'm I'm pretty hard on it, yeah, right, to be honest. So. Less developer pain. I'm happy with it. Right? Yeah. Less developer pain. Developer happiness. Developer Um, happiness. And it's going to get the job done. I mean, it has to get the job done, too. Every framework tries to do that. But I think that the experience with Aurelia is going to be something that's going to, that you're going to enjoy. That's awesome. Um, All right. Any last words before we leave it there? uh, Gosh, just check it out. I mean, uh, we're in uh this phase right now we're calling kind of a pre early preview so it's like it's more than an alpha it's not quite a beta don't go to production with it you know yeah uh but come like follow the get started guide watch the video try it out try and make something uh we've got a getter channel where the community is kind of coming to ask questions and get help 
you know, play around with it. Give us feedback. Let us know. Is this something you want? You know, do you like this? Are we going in the right direction? What works? What doesn't? What's what's hard? What's, you know, all that kind of stuff we want to hear right now. And uh, and we're working fast towards a beta. You know, we got a few missing features and we got to do a lot of performance work. But, um, but we really want to hear from you, you know. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. You're welcome. All right, Rob, we'll catch you later, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.